and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Llewellyn, and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Raymond Boggs, who is a criminal defense lawyer in Toronto. Today, we'll be discussing the criminal defense called not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder in relation to recidivism rates. Let's get into today's conversation. Hi, Ray. How are you? Quite good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Uh, Tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your experience with the legal profession. Well, uh, I've been called to the bar since 1998 when I formed the firm of Boggs and Levin with Rita Levin. And uh, we did exclusively criminal law for most of those years. Uh, So that's 22 years of practice and close to 4,000 cases, 29 homicide type cases. Great, excellent. So let's just start out by discussing what does it mean to be not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder or NCRMD for short? Well, not criminally responsible is what they used to call uh, not guilty by reason of insanity. That's what you hear in most of the movies and that's the way the Americans uh, uh, talk about it. And uh, that used to be quite similar to the way that we talked about it in Canada until recently, until the law was changed. Uh, with a specific procedure and uh, with the change to the terminology. But basically, what not criminally responsible means is that a person is not guilty. They're not guilty because in the criminal law you have to have mens rea, which is wrongful intent. You have to have a guilty mind in order to commit a crime. And if you are, uh, you suffer from a mental disease or a mental Uh, health problem that is uh, substantial, you can't form that criminal intent. You don't understand the consequences of your actions at the time that you're performing them. And that's why you can't be guilty. Excellent. So do you find that this defense is used often and is it hard to use? And when I say by hard to use, I mean, is it accepted often as a valid defense or are many people skeptical about it? Well, in the courts, it, it, it's not um, a matter of uh, skepticism uh, because it has to be backed up with expert e- evidence. Um, and quite often, it's, it, it's rather clear when somebody is um, suffering from a mental disorder. Um, they do irrational things in court. They say irrational things in court. Uh, they talk about people who are telling them what to do. Um, it's much easier in most instances to convince the court uh, that the defense applies than it is to convince the uh, accused person that they should invoke the defense. Because people who are afflicted with these uh, sorts of problems desperately do not want to admit that they have that sort of problem, usually. Um, I've I've had this in in, uh, murder cases. Uh, where the obvious defense for someone was that uh, uh, he was afflicted with a mental disorder, but there was no way uh, that he would allow that defense to be invoked, even though it would surely have been successful. And that is quite often the case. I've had it with uh, people uh, accused of lesser crimes as well. They would rather spend time in jail uh, than admit uh, that they have a mental issue. Um... 
what types of crime do individuals who are NCRMD typically commit? Well, it, it ranges the, the gamut uh, from theft under uh, to, um, uh, well, to, to murder, as I just mentioned. Um, but those violent cases are, are very few. Uh, most people with mental uh, problems are, are not violent. Uh, there are a small uh, percentage that are, but most of them are not. What you typically get is an, is an association of uh, the mental issue with drug abuse, uh, where a person is trying to self-medicate and they get addicted to drugs. And quite often, the, uh, the, the offenses are drug-related. So you get, sort of, you get uh, break and enters, you get, uh, you, you get uh, thefts, you get low-level robberies uh, in order to get the money to get the drugs. Uh, also, you get possession charges, so possession of uh, various narcotics and things. Um, the, the, those sorts of things are quite frank, uh, frequent. I mean, in, in particular, if you took out all the accused people that are uh, associated with drug offenses, and then you take out all the people that have mental illnesses, there's very little left to account for crime. Uh, what would you say is the procedure to diagnosing someone NCRMD within the justice system? Well, the, the, the good thing about um, the changes to the legislation uh, with regard to uh, not criminally responsible uh, is that it's more flexible now. Uh, you can bring up the defense uh, early in the stages of the proceeding. You can bring up the defense... Uh, at the plea, you can plead not guilty, run a trial, and at any time during the trial invoke the defense, uh, or you can do it after the fact. And, and likewise, uh, from what is seen, uh, the judge uh, can invoke the, the defense without um, the uh, defendant's consent, um, depending on the evidence. Excellent. So from your experience, do you find that there is high rate of recidivism among these individuals? Like some research would suggest that recidivism rates are in fact quite low. Do you agree with this? They're low if um, the person is treated. Generally speaking, um, and they're always treated if they, if, if they go through this process, um, because that, that is part of the, the resolution that they, they, they be treated. Um, but typically treatment uh, includes, this, um, includes medication. And medication uh, takes away uh, circumstances and that, that the person has grown accustomed to. And sometimes they would rather suffer the mental illness than um, take the medication. So while the recidivism rate is low, if they take their medication, um, if they don't take medication, uh, uh, recidivism can be much higher. How hands-on do you think the legal system is with these individuals? Like, do they monitor them, them heavily to make sure they take their medication or it's just they get diagnosed with this and then they're like, be free? No, uh, you're, not diagno you're, not, you're not let free until the, a board... Uh, is convinced that you're stable 
Um, so typically, there's no issue uh, during that during the period from which uh, you're the the uh, not criminally responsible um, uh, resolution is made and uh, the time of of the release. Either the person takes the medication and is, and and has no issue, or um, they don't, in which case they stay put uh, under supervision. Uh, the uh, problem might arise afterwards when they're left to their own devices or um, have more freedom and um, either forget to take the medication or decline to. Interesting. So can you explain like the process after the defense is invoked and what the individual has to go through? Uh, what you need, uh, what you need to do is you need to satisfy the judge that this person is what well, was not capable of understanding the consequences of their actions. That is done typically with an expert report. So there would be a, a psychiatrist who assesses them, and uh, by speaking to them and looking at their file, typically there's a long history of mental illness that goes along with these particular cases. Uh, they've been diagnosed with med medical with uh, mental illness prior, um, and there's a history of how they react to certain medication, and um, there might also be uh, a a criminal record that quite typically coincides with periods when they're not on medication or when they were pr prior to when they were diagnosed. So it, it's relatively easy for a doctor to look at the per to to look at the person's file. Uh, and uh, interview them and determine whether or not they're, uh, they're, they understood the consequences of their actions at, at the time. And, and quite frankly, uh, usually in these cases, uh, the lawyer is quite aware of the fact uh, by the person's behavior and uh, um, uh, general um, speech patterns and usually the judges as well. Um, there are so many of these cases that come through the courts, uh, judges uh, and prosecutors uh, and uh, tend to see them right away. Uh, prosecutors are not always um, um, sympathetic, uh, but they tend to understand the problem when they see it. So when you say that people recognize it easily, they could just see it, do you find that there could be some bias or even stigma like towards the individual when sentencing is going on? No, I, I, I think uh, in the last 30 years, bias and stigma with regard to mental illness has gone down in an extraordinary fashion. Uh, I think it's generally recognized to be um, a, a disease that people suffer from now. Uh, rather than a defect in character, which was, uh, I think, the prevalent position uh, in the 70s and 80s. Interesting. So because of this, do you find that courts are more lenient with multiple offenses if the individual does indeed uh, have high recidivism rate? It's not a question of lenient. Uh, it's, it's a matter of fundamental justice. Does it make any sense to throw a person in jail if they had no idea what they were doing in the first place? And 
almost everybody would say no. Uh, the fact that they have this recidivism, or, or what recidivism means is that they commit the crime again, um, or a different crime, really doesn't have anything to do with the person being bad what, or, or uh, trying to take advantage of the public. What it has to do with, in a case of a person who suffers from a mental issue, is that they have the mental issue. Uh, so what you need is proper treatment, and it's the same as cancer or any other thing. Sometimes the first thing you try doesn't work. Sometimes the second and the third thing that you try doesn't work. Uh, you have to get the thing, uh, the drug, or the circumstances uh, to help this person out. And when you do, then there's no then there's no real. Uh, issue with regard to the crime being committed again. Uh, from your experience with your clients, do they find that when they go through the whole procedure and it does work to an extent that they're happy with the result in the end? Or are they often fighting against it for a while? Well, as I said, um, quite frequently, uh, somebody who is truly mentally ill are more than opposed uh, to accepting the fact that they're mentally ill. Um, it is sort of an assault against their personhood. Uh, they really would rather suffer than um, cure the problem uh, or recognize the problem. Now, this is interesting because normally, uh, or quite often, uh, a person who is not uh, mentally ill will suggest the defense to the defense lawyer. A person who is mentally ill never suggests the defense to a defense lawyer. Is it possible that someone can malinger that defense? Like, is it easy to use it or it's hard to fake it? it, it it's hard to fake it because uh, most people that... Uh, don't have it, don't have much uh, experience with uh, uh, the types of behavior or the appearance of somebody who has a, a mental issue. Um, they don't react in the same way. And it's quite obvious when a person doesn't have the mental issue, uh, but suggests it, it to you. And, and that's one of the primary um, indicators right there. Uh, if a person is suggesting that they're mentally ill, uh, to a defense lawyer. Uh, it, it's a pretty big cue that they're not. Interesting. And is there anything else you would like to uh, tell our audience about NCRMD, just to finish off here? Well, uh, there's a misperception that people are not uh, punished um, when they invoke a not criminally responsible defense. And... I would urge people to accept the notion that these people are punished every day of their life, whether they committed an offense or not. Uh, it, it's something they really struggle with and suffer from uh, every day that they have this mental issue. And if you think about it, it really makes no sense to punish someone uh, because they did something that they did not understand, may not remember they did, 
and had no wrongful or criminal intent when they did it. Excellent. Thank you for your insights. So you've reached the end of this episode with the Trauma and Mental Health Report podcast. Thank you, Ray, for joining us. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. You can connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content. See you at the next episode.